0: fraud. It has captivated the financial services industry with force and pervasiveness. On this episode of Nixa Talk, we'll dive into how leaders in the industry are addressing this growing issue. You're listening to Nixa Talk, a show aimed at providing building blocks for best practice implementation to executives in the global asset management industry. Nixa Talk features targeted content from Nixa's live webinar programming, More content for your on-the-go, easy listening can be found at Nixa.org. I'm Alison Lovett, your Nixa host, and on today's show, we're talking about how asset managers can combat social engineering and other fraud at the call center. We've asked a tenured group of industry experts to join this conversation, including Nuance, a market leader in biometric authentication, to talk about what firms can do to shore up their defenses. Our experts include Craig Hollis, Head of Compliance at DST Systems, Bethany Hendricks, Vice President, U.S. Transfer Agent at Franklin Templeton Investments, Mark Trenchard, Director of Operational Compliance at Putnam Investments, and Brett Baranek, General Manager at Nuance. Craig Hollis of DST is moderating.
1: How are asset managers addressing the threat? Can you provide some real, for lack of a better term, case study examples of investor fraud and how you're and how you've responded to those schemes and/or threats, Bethany.
2: So we had a really interesting one several years ago, um, and it was I'm going to call it an attack really. It was an onslaught of calls that were coming through the hearing-impaired relay system, which was a really unique and odd situation for us because we don't get a lot of calls through the relay system. But if you're familiar with that system, what it does is the caller, hopefully is your shareholder, um, types into a system that is then read over the phone by the relay operator. And what we found that the fraudsters were doing in this particular case was they had gotten some list of social security numbers from somewhere. And so instead of calling in directly and directly interfacing with us, they were using the relay system as a buffer. And they would just give us is there, a, is there an account, do you have an account on your books for the following social security number? That's what would come through from the relay. And then our agent would look and they would say, no, no account. And then they would go through several more of these and then hang up the call. Once we identified that this was a trend, and sometimes it takes us a beat, right, to understand that multiple agents are getting the same flavor of call, but word gets around. Once we understood what was happening, we were able to work directly with the relay operator and say there's a problem here you are part of what we would consider a fraud attack on our, or our organization and they partnered with us to thwart it at that level we also took that information to some of the industry groups that we belong to our global risk and control representatives are very active in the industry to understand what the trends are and how we can help in sharing what we're seeing on our side and so we shared that so that others in the industry would likewise hopefully have a heads up like hey if you see something like like this coming through, shut it down ASAP because it's malintended for sure. So that would be an example. That's not an ongoing trend, but that would be an example of just sort of a one-off thing that suddenly um, we realized was an issue for us. Right. Anything from a nuanced perspective on that?
3: Yeah. Let, let me give a slightly different example. Uh, so without naming the name of the organization, right, We one of our customers, they uh, – Came to us, and they shared with us that uh, about 40% of all their fraud uh, for their investor customers was caused by children and, and grandchildren. And um, this actually was something that I was somewhat shocked by. And they came to us, and they asked us, "How can we stem this fraud?" Um, you know, it's very easy for these you know children and grandchildren to socially engineer the contact center agent because you know they have a lot of information uh, you know they can call from the uh, household of, of the account holder right so everything everything seems to line up and um, for that specific customer, we had come up with a an approach uh, that involves some technology and some process uh, to uh, biometrically identify the uh, uh, the investors and and we, we managed to stem that that fraud from from the children from the grandchildren. Uh, and so it you know a little bit different, right? Than that fraudster, right? That's on the other end of the world, right? That's logging into the dark web and purchasing uh, account information. Sure. Uh, but in the uh, investment community, this is this is a very real problem, and, and uh, one of the one of the most effective ways to address it is to really know who you're speaking to.
4: Yeah, and Craig, I, I would add, you know, for for those who uh, work closely with. Uh, broker-dealers and financial advisors, one thing that we've seen a little bit of is uh, where business email compromise comes into play, where an advisor's email has been hacked and somebody's gained their credentials, and now they're coming to our service center purporting to be the advisor for a particular shareholder and looking to execute transactions in that shareholder's account. So you know, now you've got a further complicated factor where you may have uh, different policies or procedures for how you might engage with a designated financial advisor as opposed to the shareholder, Uh, and now you're worried about, am I talking to the financial advisor? Right, right. So,
1: uh, kind of a follow-up question to this, probably to Mark and Bethany, just really very quickly here. Talk to me about training at Putnam, at Franklin Templeton. Is there any sort of specialized training that you subject your call center folks to, uh, uh, Mark? Uh,
4: absolutely, we we have uh, an identity theft prevention program and policies that, that uh, we've deployed under that program and that's a very active part of what we engage with our call center folks on to make sure that uh, as we're learning about the red flags that are out there, um, that recognizing that our reps are the first line of defense, it's important for them to know what to be listening for, when to escalate, uh, so that we can get out in front of things before uh, we've uh, you know, subjected the shareholders' assets to, to unauthorized
1: uh, processing. I mean, that's the key with any of this stuff we're talking about, right? right. Trying to be ahead of it, trying to be predictive. Bethany?
2: Yeah, same. We do new employee training. And then ongoing, I think we have a really solid process where we share what we're seeing real time. So as things come up, Here's an example of something that just happened. Here's what the losses were. Here's the red flags that were evident or missed along the way or some things that we might have clued into and for whatever reason, we still let the transaction process through. So really trying to um, keep it alive. It's not just a once-and-done type of thing. And then we do have ongoing training that all employees engage in of the WBT sort of format on a yearly basis.
1: Yeah, that's very helpful. I'm sure the audience is kind of taking copious notes on that. I know I personally get a lot of questions around that. Uh, so so really just a quick follow-up to that. So what challenges are you encountering when addressing uh, a certain type of scheme or threats? Is there, you know, any words of wisdom? Um, you know, what are the challenges that
2: you're running into. So the whole thing is a huge challenge and I would say this is where I'll just drop in these five best practices that in preparation for this conversation today I thought about what's going well in our organization because certainly we have fraud and things get through our our process or our net but I do think that we've made a lot of good headway in terms of positioning our our agents to be what I call guardians of the enterprise, and that's not superhero status, but it's a shift because it moves them out of exactly what you've been talking about, that space of being helpful, being accommodating, more into a space of being a bit more skeptical or inquisitive, not necessarily a natural space for those who are good at service. So that would be the first one, I think, is to really create a culture where it's a balance of, okay, yeah, we want you to be really friendly, but we want you to also look and say, huh, something doesn't smell right here. And then number two, I would say, if it doesn't look right, if there is something that sets off someone's spidey senses, giving them a place to escalate that to and not having that be a big deal has been really helpful for us. So we have three levels of call center employees that are, um, we generally hire externally for that first level, but then the other two are internal promotions. So this would be like our top-level frontline employee. We call them specialists. But they're positioned and ready to take those calls over from other agents if something seems odd. And there's two things that are good about this. One is that it's a more mature employee, someone who has just more experience, so that's helpful, and then number two, it funnels all of those potential fraud situations into a smaller group so that they start to see the trends, and if there is something that's bubbling up, it's in a smaller group of people who can talk about it and more readily get behind it and involve the right leaders to hopefully Hopefully, um, shut it down. Number three, I would say is to teach your call center agents not to give away the keys. So, if there are authentication pieces that you ask for, those would be things you would not want them to provide. If someone says, "What is the?" If they somehow authenticated in and they didn't get the account number, but that's a piece that they could use for the authentication process in the future, then you might not want to give them the account number. Maybe the account number then isn't a good piece. If that's something they need frequently, not a good piece to include in your authentication process. And along those same lines, we have some internal controls that certainly some of them are even disclosed in the prospectus. Like if you change an address, you're not allowed to make a telephone redemption for 15 days. So it's not that they can't tell our customers that, like I said, it's disclosed, but it kind of gives the fraudster like, oh, we'll call back on the 20th to defraud Franklin. I mean, it almost gives them like, here's how long I have to wait before I can do that. So that's something we, we try to um, mitigate as well, to not give away too much in terms of our internal control processes. The next one would be Uh, I already mentioned it, but just again, sharing of those live examples, letting everyone benefit from what we're seeing and what we missed that allowed it to go through. And then finally, number five is to recognize the favorite combinations of fraudsters. And what I mean by this is that we see types of of activity on the account that adds up to fraud over time. So they may make an inquiry first into the contact center. We don't have great records around how often someone has contacted us. Um, other, Other call centers may have more data on that. We don't have that as a tool. But we are able to see things like, did they just recently establish an online login, did they just recently change the address on the account, updating of banking information, and finally adding e-delivery to the account. That's sometimes a process where they, they put a new email address on and now the statements won't go out to the address anymore. They're going to go to that new email address instead. And there are some safeguards set up along the way to hopefully notify the actual account holder that things have been changed on their account, but elderly and vulnerable people sometimes just don't track well with that. So when we see those things in combination, we're really asking our agents, again, to put on their analytical thinking hats and say, huh, this looks kind of weird that they're asking me that question, and they just signed up for the first time to log on to our website, and they've changed the banking information. So those are kind of five things that I think we've positioned our staff really well. There's lots of other things we'd like to do in the future, including technology solutions. So that's an exciting space because once you know you're dealing with the right person, it's a huge um, leg up. We don't always have that certainty. We have you know, our, our given authentication process, but there are certainly gaps in that.
1: Wow, Bethany, great, uh, great tips. Thank you very, very much for sharing. Uh, mm-hmm. certainly worth the price of admission alone.
0: You've been listening to Nixa Talk, expert panels discussing today's most compelling asset management issues. Nixa is a trade association and support of professionals within the global financial community. Come back often and feel free to add our podcast to your favorite RSS feed or follow us on Twitter at Nixon News. Access to the complete live programming, including CE credits, is available to Nixon members. For information on how your firm can become a Nixon member, please visit nixa.org and view our membership page. For over 50 years, Nixa has been connecting global asset management participants to discuss and develop industry best practices. Join the conversation today.